This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. Hey, y'all. I hope you're doing well. Um, I, I also hope that uh, you responded in some fashion there with like a, a hey, Corey, or hey, doing good, or morning, something like that, um, because uh, that's what we do, right? We, we actually interact with one another at church when we gather together. Yes, maybe four of us. Um, this, this brings up a good side note that I've been thinking about, um, and, and that is that, that worship is participatory. Um, gathering together at church is, is an active participation thing, not, not some passive participation. Uh, so um, when we sing and sing wholeheartedly, when we engage in the Word, you know, we're, we're glorifying God and we're actively worshiping Him. And we're also building up one another around us. I mean, come on, we've all been, I would have guessed, I don't want to say all, many of us have been in a worship setting where everyone was just passionately singing and engaged in worship, right? And, and it lifted our spirit. There's a power in that, that that engages us. And then we've also been in a worship setting where it's kind of like ho-hum and you're questioning whether people actually believe the words that they're singing. And, and that kind of, I don't know, pulls you down as well. So I just, I don't know, I just say this as an encouragement. I know we're not all gathered together, but when we do gather together again, um, let's, let's be engaging. Let's be active. You know, if, if the preacher says something that, that you just agree with, say amen. Uh, you know, clap if you want to. Engage. It's, it's active. Um, so that's my encouragement. We're going to take baby steps there. We'll get there. Um, but I really do believe that it will build us up um, to be better. So this is, gosh, I'm, I, I have lost, I, I struggle to remember what day it is. Um, this is like week three of, of sermons via the telephone interaction. I miss your faces. I would love um, just a, a Zoom call or a FaceTime call or just a, a screenshot, a picture of your face, man. I miss people's faces. Uh, this is hard. So um, I'd love to hear from you. Interact with me um, and, and send, a, send a video or something. Uh, gosh, yeah, I just miss seeing faces. Um, but yeah, this is week whatever. Uh, this was week, first week of homeschooling for us. Uh, that is interesting. Um, I'm saying this now in case anybody hears it. Teachers need a raise, a big raise, a big raise. Um, this is hard, stupid hard. Um, and so, yeah, week one of homeschooling, I, I think we're doing okay. Um, our kids are all still somewhat moving forward. Um, Here's a thought I had, and, and I'd, love to, I'd love to get some interaction on the, on the back end of the sermon, it is who else has gotten to like, I don't know, 3, 4 p.m., and you're like, ah, I haven't brushed my teeth today. Hmm. Yeah, might as well wait till the evening now, right? Like, come on, surely I'm not the only one who's gotten that far in the day, and you realize, yep, didn't brush my teeth. That's what happens when you don't leave, when you don't go anywhere. You don't do things like shower and brush your teeth and stuff, and so... Surely I'm not the only one. I'd love to hear back a little affirmation like, hey, dude, yeah, we're right there with you. I haven't brushed my teeth in three days. Now, I brush my teeth daily, but maybe not twice a day anymore. It's, I forget. Um, anyways, those are all non-essentials. Um, I think my, my strongest encouragement to you today, um, besides brushing your teeth, um, is to love well. Uh, we're, we're stuck inside. Everybody's antsy. Everybody's a little on edge. Um, if there's people you live with, yeah, that's going to get interesting real fast. Um, let's love well. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, it says, you know, if we don't have love, we've got nothing. Um, we can have all these other things, but if we don't have love, what's the point? And then it goes on to say that love is patient, love is kind, 
It does not envy. It is not boastful. It is not arrogant or rude. It is not self-seeking or irritable and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Um, and so I, I think now is just a good time to, if you're looking for something to memorize, go memorize those verses in 1 Corinthians 13 um, on what love is. Um, we would do well to put that into practice. Uh, let's pray together uh, wherever you are. Uh, let's pray and ask God to speak to us through his word. We believe there's power in his word, not in my words, but in what he has to communicate to us. And then we'll jump into Acts chapter 11. God, we are grateful for the breath in our lungs. God, um, makes me think of the many who are sick. And I pray, God, for their healing. God, we ask for your grace and your mercy um, to eradicate the coronavirus, God. Um, Father, for those who are sick, would you uh, bring miraculous healing? God, would you um, give endurance to the medical workers and to the leaders and officials in cities? Um, God, would, would you give wisdom and, and humility, Father? May we not lean on our own strength, but may we lean into you for the strength to serve and to care and to be wise um, and to endure. God, we want to hear from you. I think many of us may not even, I don't know, maybe we believe that, maybe we don't, but what I, I do believe is the longing of our heart, whether we recognize it or not, is that we want to hear your voice. That there is no sound more beautiful and contagious. There is no love more inspiring and compelling. God, we want to, we want to hear your voice. We want to see your glory. We want to know your will. Holy Spirit, speak to us through your word. May it be your voice that we hear, not mine. Um, would you let us hear truth, whether it's easy or hard. May we hear truth and may we humbly and joyfully submit to it. In Christ we pray. Amen. All right, folks. Um, Acts chapter 11 is where we're going to be. So if you have a Bible, and I hope that you do, um, go ahead and turn there. Um, I'll give you a second or... Heck, I mean, I wouldn't know anyways. You may be walking around grabbing stuff anyways. Grab a Bible. You know, you can probably still hear it. Um, go, go grab a Bible. Uh, turn to Acts chapter 11. That's page 920 in my Bible. Um, it's probably not 920 in yours, but um, yeah, it's 920 in mine. Acts is the first book after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the first, um, it's a historical account of the life and of the, of the work of Jesus after he ascended back to heaven. So it's still the power and work of Jesus. It's just now through his followers by the power of his spirit. And so that's the, the historical account we see in Acts is the, the workings, the beginning of his work in the church, in his people, through his spirit. Um, and so we get to Acts chapter 11. Uh, one of the things that uh, fascinates a lot of people and, and fascinates me is um, just kind of history and, and where we came from and what's our story and um, Ancestry.com is, is a big, um, that was a, a free ad by the way, uh, I'm not getting any, any benefits for that. Um, Ancestry.com is a, is a service that I know many people have like given us Christmas gifts and have used and want to know where do we come from, um, you know, who are my, who's my family. 
you know, we're fascinated by their stories and what they were a part of. Um, as a church, we, we also have an, an, a family tree, an ancestry, you know, and so for us, Austin Life Church, um, 121 Community Church in Grapevine, Texas, um, is, is one of our, our spiritual church um, parents. Mike and I were on staff there for several years, uh, and they have generously and faithfully uh, sent and supported and loved us I mean, prayers and in finances. And I mean, without, without their support, we're not here. Uh, another church is Summit Church in Raleigh, Durham, uh, North Carolina. I was a part of their, their residency program, the Summit Collaborative. Uh, and then Summit Church has kind of adopted us in as part of their family and, and has also prayed and given financially and sent many people from North Carolina moved to Texas, to Austin, to be a part of starting this new church. Um, and, and so we stand on their shoulders. And then Central Baptist in College Station, the church that Stephanie and I went to in college, uh, they have generously and faithfully given and prayed for and blessed us. Um, and so these are churches that we, we stand on their shoulders. They've gone before us and now, now we're kind of running our race and it's our turn. And, and we pray and hope that and believe that we will be a church like that as well, that, that sends other church planters out and, and supports them financially and prays for them and cares for them and sends people. And, you know, in the same way that we were, we, we dream of, of sending hundreds of church plants down the road that all people in all places may, may hear and know who Jesus is. Um, but that's kind of our, our family tree. But really, if we continue to look back and you know, if we were to all trace our story as a church back, all of us would, would go back to, you know, Ephesus or Galatia or Corinth. You know, these, these churches that we see in the Bible that Paul wrote letters to. And like we, we all stand on their shoulders as you really start to narrow it down right to back to the book of Acts. We, we stand on those shoulders of Colossae and Thessalonica, right? Like, those are our, our spiritual ancestors, our church moms and dads who have, who have sent us out. And then if you go even behind that, the, uh, an influential church that really played a massive role because they sent Paul out who planted you know, the church in Galatia and Colossae and Ephesus and Philippi, right? Is this church in Antioch? So these Massive, I mean, these influential churches of Rome and Corinth, and, and like they go back to Antioch and what came out of, of Antioch. And you know who started the church in, in Antioch, the church that sent Paul out to be a, a missionary and a church planner? You know who started that church? Yeah, no, me neither. Couldn't tell you their name at all because the Bible just says in Acts chapter 11 that some of them came to Antioch, and, and on coming to Antioch, they spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching to them the Lord Jesus. It, it just says some of them. It doesn't even mention their names, just unnamed, faithful men and women who took the name of Jesus with them and proclaimed the gospel where they were, and a church started that became one of the most influential churches in all of Christianity. So the, the title of this sermon, I decided, is remember that time some of them casually started the church in Antioch, one of the most influential churches of all of, in all of history. That, that's the title. So if you like to write down the titles of a sermon, that's it. Remember that time some of them casually started a church in Antioch that is one of the most influential churches in all of history. And here's my hope. 
Here's my hope, y'all, is that that we, Austin Life Church, you and me and, and everybody who's a part, that we will be some of them who love God so much that we take the name of Jesus to all people around us and that God uses this church, this Austin Life Church, to to send churches that start churches that start churches, that, that God would let us be a part of a movement of his kingdom where we tangibly experience his power and his presence so that all people in all places could know Jesus. That's my hope for us. That is what I want so deeply is that we will be some of them just like those in Acts chapter 11 who started the church of Antioch and that God will use our church to bless the world. That's, that's my prayer. That's my hope. And so I wanted to look at Acts 11, at, the, at this church in Antioch and, and how it got started. And so I wanted to talk about it for a few minutes. So in Acts chapter 11, verse 19, it, it says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, they traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. Verse 20, But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So, so Jerusalem hears, and they send Barnabas to be an elder, to be a, a pastor in Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, and full of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. So this is where we see the church in Antioch starting. And one of the what I want to first note out in, in verse 19 is that this church started on, on the effects, on the, as, a, as an effect of the persecution that, that arose over Stephen. So you remember back in Acts chapter 7 that Stephen stood, stood firm to his faith in Christ and was killed for his faith, was persecuted. And it says in, in Acts chapter 8 at the very beginning, there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So this persecution begins, and, and, and everybody takes off, except the, except the big 12, except the apostles, right? Like, they stay in Jerusalem, but, but many others pack up and move, and they have to go find a new home because of this unwanted, unasked-for persecution against them for being Christians. What's... What's even more fascinating about this story, right? It just, it just blows me away, right? So this church in Antioch begins from, from people who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen. You, you remember who was, who was the kind of the, the head honcho of that persecution? It says at the end of Acts 7, as they were stoning Stephen, as they were throwing rocks at Stephen, they handed their cloaks to a man named Saul who approved of his execution, Saul over, oversaw and he approved of the, the murder of Stephen. 
But not only that, Saul continued to breathe murderous threats against the church. And he was out on the road arresting and persecuting men and women, killing them if need be, if they, if they held tightly to the name of Jesus. This, this violent, oppressive man named Saul is the driving force behind the persecution that sends people out to start the church of Antioch. But then in verse 25, Barnabas goes to Tarsus to bring Saul to pastor the church of Antioch. Right, right. Saul begins the persecution of the church that sends people out. But then Saul dramatically is encountered by Jesus, gives his life to Jesus, and, and lays his life down for the sake of Christ, and, and now is being used to pastor the people who are fleeing the persecution that he began. Like that, are you, ki- like, are you kidding me? How, do, how does that happen? And my point in this is, is this, right? What the enemy means for evil, God in his power and sovereignty chooses to redeem and work good through the very thing that the enemy meant for evil. That, that what the enemy thought would destroy and still, God takes and he flips around and redeems and brings abundant life through it. He brings greater praise and greater good through this suffering that the enemy thought would undo them. Like gold that is refined to the fire and it goes to the heat, but it comes out on the other side more pure, better, right? That, that's what our God does. He's a good God. I've been I've been drawn to this Charles Spurgeon quote this week. He says, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. I've learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. What what Spurgeon is saying is he's looking at this theme of the Bible that says, man, there's going to be waves that crash you against the rock. But it's oftentimes those waves of trial and of persecution and of suffering, those waves that, that are pressing you into the rock of ages. It's through persecution, it's through hardship, it's through suffering and trial that, that God tells us to rejoice because we know Him more, we know His power, we see that I mean, He is carrying us through, that He is faithful, that He is good, that He is still worthy of praise. And if that is where abundant life is, then we can praise the suffering and the waves that carry us into a greater abundance with Christ. And so I know that coronavirus is affecting everyone. Everyone on this planet, I've, I, I can't recall anything like it, is affected by this. And, and I'm not saying God caused it, but I am saying that he's going to redeem and use that which is bad and which is hard. He's going to redeem it and bring good through it. It doesn't make it easy and we don't, we don't want to sign up for it. Like, hey man, bring on suffering, right? Like, come on. Nobody's thinking that, right? But, but we do know that it's going to come. We do know that hardship is going to happen. We do know that oppression is going to happen. We do know that persecution is going to come. We do know that we're going to be mistreated. And we, through it, know that God is good and he will bring good through it. That's the hope that we can hold on to. That's what we see that this church is started as another evidence of good through the evil of persecution. I don't know what that church would have started if persecution didn't scatter people. And so we know the character of God, and He's good for it. 
and gives us hope to hold on to through the waves of trial and persecution and suffering. The next thing I, I just want us to look at then is the start of this church. And when I, when I read this, I ask two questions. I ask myself two questions. Who started the church and, and what did they do? So the first question, who started the church? It, it says in verse 20, there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Now, I think we can read past that really quickly, right? There were some of them who came to Antioch, right? But here's the point in that, is the starters, the founders of the church of Antioch, the people who went and planted this church, and this church that becomes one of the most influential and, and, I mean, just historically great churches in all of Christendom, is started by unnamed, casual men and women who are just going through life but taking the name of Jesus with them. They're, they're not your, your professionals. They're not your, uh, your trained leaders. We don't, best we know, we don't know if they have any education. We don't know, you know what their, their social status is. We don't know how much money they have. We, we just know that they're men and women who are forced away from their home because of persecution and these unnamed men and women preach the name of Jesus boldly. I mean, these are your, these are your everyday folks, your, your mill workers, your tradesmen, your, your midwives, your, your medics, your, your farmers, right? Like these are just your everyday men and women who don't have a, a, a platform that their names are even recorded in the Bible. They're just unnamed, some of them, who love God enough that when they go, where they go, they take Jesus with them. That, that, that's, that's who we see here. And so here's what this tells me, is that anyone can be used by God. Anyone. Anyone can be used by God to, to be a part of his work and his kingdom expansion, to start a church, right? Like, because, because the heavy lifting isn't on our shoulders, it's actually on his shoulders, right? Like, we see that in, in verse 21, that the hand of the Lord was with them. It's the, the Spirit of God that brings spiritual fruit, right? So the, the starting and building of a church, of this spiritual transformation, is only going to be done by the power of the Spirit, but he wants to just use faithful men and women. And it doesn't matter if you have a big name or not. It doesn't matter if you're well-known or not. It doesn't matter if you're trained or educated, or if you have money, or if you don't, right? He, he's going to use whoever is going to be faithful to his word. And here we see just unnamed some of them. But you and me, we can be some of them. You and me, this, this church that we're a part of, we can be some of them. We can, we can be these people as well. You know, that, that inspires the mess out of me. Because it's not on my skill. It's not on my effectiveness. It's not, it's not about, you know, do I have the, the training or am I good enough? Or do I measure up? It doesn't matter if people know my name, your name, or our church's name. We can be some of them just like they were. And here's what they did. There's one thing that it says they did, one thing that, that Acts 11 says they did to start this church in Antioch. 
There were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch, just as they're coming to Antioch, as they're moving to this new city, spoke to the Hellenists also preaching the Lord Jesus. The one thing that we see these some of them doing is talking about Jesus. As they get to Antioch, they meet new people, they have new neighbors, they have new co-workers, and they just speak about Jesus to them. They just tell people of the hope that they have in Jesus. If you're wanting to know, like, okay, what do we need to start a church? What do we need to to build Austin Life Church, to, to plant this church? What do we need to plant new churches? We just need to go to a city and entrust the power of God and speak the name of Jesus to people. Speak the hope and the gospel of Jesus, and then God will do the work behind it. Our job is simply to be faithful to speak the name of Jesus. And then we'll see what God has done. Man, you've probably heard, or you know, the it's not an illustration, it's a, it's a fact, but the the example, if you have one penny and you, you double the amount of pennies you have every day. So if today I have one penny and I double it tomorrow, I have two pennies and I double it the next day, I have four and then I have eight pennies, that it will take 28 days for you to have over a million dollars. If you start with one penny on day one, by day 28, if you double your pennies every day, you will have over a million dollars. I remember as a kid, someone told me that, and I was like, game on, sucker, I can get pennies anywhere. I'm finna be a millionaire. I think it was like day five. I'm like, I'm like taking quarters into the gas station. I'm like, can you make this into a penny, please? Into 25 pennies? It didn't, it didn't go long. It adds up real quick, you know? But, but it's that multiplication effect. Think about it with telling people about Jesus. If in 2020, if I'm faithful enough to to tell people about Jesus and one person trusts Christ in this year, we end the year 2020 with how many people who are Christians? Two, right? Two people in 2020. But then let's say in 2021, the, the two of us are faithful to tell people about Jesus and we we each are, are God, God leads two more people to life in Jesus, right? So, so at the end of 2021, we're up to four, right? And then 2022, if the four of us are faithful and God brings life and, and, and each person leads another person to Jesus, we're, the four is now eight. And then, and then the eight to 16. Here's the thing. If, if every person who is a Christian is, is blessed by God to lead one person to Jesus every year, then in 20 years, the entire city of Austin could know Jesus. But then it gets real crazy. Within 25 years, only five years after that, the entire state of Texas could know Jesus. And then it gets even crazier. Within 29 years, only four years after that, the entire United States of America could know Jesus. And then even crazier, that another four years, 33 years from this year, if everybody who's a Christian led one person to life in Jesus throughout that year, in 33 years, that is all of our lifetime, most likely, the entire 7.8 billion in the world could know Jesus. Now, I, I get it. I understand that not everybody's going to trust Jesus. It, it's just to show the point, right? Like, God's not expecting, you know, this one person to do this massive work. And 
although God does use that sometimes, God just wants us to be faithful. And if we're faithful with the little, we'll see him bless and bring life and growth. But we've got to speak the name of Jesus. We've got to be bold to tell people of how they can have the hope and the life of Christ. And, and why wouldn't we want to? You know, if, if we really believe this to be true and that unless my sins are forgiven, I will spend an eternity in hell, why do we not want to tell people how their sins can be forgiven and, and spend eternity with God? It'd be like finding a cure for the coronavirus and not telling people, right? Like that would be absurd. We wouldn't do that. But yet we, we remain so quiet when it comes to our spiritual life. They simply showed up and they, they preached the name of Jesus wherever they were, whatever they were doing. Look, if we're a Christian, we're all called to be a missionary, all of us. Jesus has given the command to every Christian to go and make disciples. A missionary is, is simply someone who lives life with with gospel intentionality, who goes through their normal life, be intentional with, with the gospel to share with others. Maybe that means you move somewhere else. Maybe that means you help start a church. But for most, it means being where you are and living with you are where you are with, with intentionality and just being mindful of the people around you and, and the conversations you're in and, and praying and seeking and just looking for opportunities to tell people of the hope that you have in Christ. So often we're just not mindful. We're not thoughtful of others. But we're all called. And we're all able. So what do we say? Right? Like, how... I, I, I truly believe that, that we all want to. I really do believe that we all, we all want to, to be faithful to that and be a part of that. So what do we say then? How, how, do, we, how do we get there? The first thing is, I believe, it starts right here in our own hearts. It starts with a faithful commitment to the Lord, with a total devotion and surrender to be obedient to our King. Jesus, our King, has, has given us the command, the order to, to go and to tell others of Jesus, to be His witness, to make disciples it starts with our own humility and, and devotion to be obedient to our King. Will we do what Jesus asked us to do? Will we be faithful and committed to his word? It starts there. The second thing is we have to abide in Christ. We have to be filled up by him. We have to be filled up by his spirit. We, we have very little to give if we're not being filled up. And so we have to remain in him. We have to walk in his word. We have to walk in obedience. We have to be filled up with him. And then it then it's kind of overflows, right? It just kind of comes out of us into, uh, into the lives of others, right? So we, we commit, I'm going to be obedient to his word. I, I am his. I'm going to follow him. And then I'm going to abide in him and be filled up by him, right? And then I'm going to be mindful of those around me. This is the third thing. I'm going to invite people into my life. I'm going to genuinely get to know people. I'm going to have a conversation with my neighbor. I'm going to learn someone's name. I'm going to invite someone out for coffee when we're able to do that again, right? Like it's being mindful and inviting people into our lives and really having a friendship with people regardless of their response. I don't know how people study this, but apparently researchers say that it takes someone five to six times of hearing the gospel before it it starts to really sink in and the light starts to come on, so to say. So that means we, we can't expect to just share the gospel once and, 
and then move on if they don't trust Christ. No, they, they probably need to hear it four, five, six, seven more times so that we're getting into relationship. But even then, right, if they don't trust Christ, we still love people. Like I, I am not called to only love you if you come to know Jesus. I want to love you because you are a person created in the image of God. And so we invite people into our lives. And then at some point, we've got to speak. We've got to share the good news of Jesus just like they did in Antioch. I mean, I know that can be overwhelming and, and scary, but um, at some point, we've got to open our mouths and trust that, that God will be with us and give us the words to say. So, so what do we say? There's really kind of four main, um, four main uh, points, chapters to the story, so to say. God created, man sinned, Jesus died and rose. We respond. So I'd love to, I'd love to share, um, if, if okay with you, I'd love to share kind of that, my hope in Jesus, the most influential thing and powerful thing that ever changed my life, my, the hope that I have in Jesus. See, I believe that, that every one of us wants to make the most out of life. You and me and our families and our neighbors and every person in the city and the world, every one of us, we, we want to be happy and we want to make the most out of life. We want to get down to the end of, end of life and and feel and believe that we, we did it right, that we didn't waste life. And I believe that God put that desire in us because the Bible tells us that the fullness of joy, that abundant life is found in His presence. And so I don't think it's weird that we all want to make the most out of life. I think that God gave us that desire because He knows that He is the most in life. That if we have that desire that we're searching for, that that one day, hopefully, we'll actually find the answer, which is, in, which is in His presence. The problem that we all have, though, is that we've all chosen to go our own way. We've all chosen to live life for ourselves, to make our own choices, to call our own shots. God said, go this way, and we've all thought, that looks really appealing, and I think I know what's best. I'm going to go this way. And anytime we do what God tells us not to do or don't do what God tells us to, to do, that's called sin. It's an offense against God. It's an obstacle in between my relationship with God. If I sin against you, there's an obstacle in between us that has to be settled. There has to be confession and forgiveness. It has to be removed so that we can restore our relationship again. And the same is true of God, is that when we have all sinned and we've all sinned, we put an obstacle of sin in between us. And that sin has to be removed in order for our relationship with God to be restored. The problem is, it's like food coloring in water. You, you can't just pull it out. We're not able to just remove our sin and make ourselves good enough. We'll never be good enough. We need someone or something that is good enough, that is right to come and to remove that for us. And so Jesus came to fix what I broke. He came to reconcile my relationship with God. He lived the perfect life that I was expected to live, sinless. From, from day one to the day he died and rose and ascended to heaven, he never sinned. That's what God expected from me, and Jesus lived up to it in my place. But then he came and he suffered and died for the punishment for my sins. My sins had to be paid for. The guilty can't go unpunished. That's not just. And so Jesus stood in my place and suffered that punishment for me on the cross so that my sins could be settled. And then he took my sins into the grave. 
And then he rose to life again three days later so that he's able to offer me this incredible exchange. He will take and bury my sins and leave them in the grave and give me his righteousness, his new life. If I trust him, if I believe he is who he says he is, he will take my sins and forgive them, wipe them completely clean and give me his perfect record, his perfect right standing with God so that now that obstacle of sin is removed and I can be restored into a relationship with God. And so Jesus says the invitation, the work is done, the invitation is given, will you repent and return to God? Will you repent, turn from going your own ways, and trust that Jesus alone is what saves you? Not your good works, not your prayers, not your going to church. Jesus alone is what saves you and trusting that he removes your sins and makes you right with God. And it's, the Bible says he will supernaturally restore us to life with God. That is the gospel. That is the message that we want to communicate with people. That God created us for a relationship with him, that we in our sin broke that relationship, but Jesus stepped in our place to fix what we've broken. If we trust Jesus, his life and death and resurrection, then Jesus, who is God, supernaturally removes our sin and gives us a new life with God forever. That is the hope that the world needs to hear. That is what they came preaching in Antioch. And many believed because the hand of the Lord was on them to bring life. The last thing I would say about sharing the gospel is don't assume. Don't assume that people know that people are, are Christians, that people are saved. Remember Cornelius last week? He feared God. He gave generously. He prayed continually. Man, I would, I would assume he was a Christian. But he missed Christ. He didn't know that Jesus is the only way that his sins are forgiven and that he's restored to God. So we don't want to just assume because someone's a really good and religious person that they know Christ. Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God the Father except through Him. So my question to you, do you trust Jesus alone to save you? This message of the good news of the gospel, do you trust Jesus alone to forgive your sins and give you life? If you have, then you're a Christian. And you're called, like every other Christian, to go and to tell others about the hope and the good news of Jesus. If you haven't trusted that, I think you probably know. I think right now you probably know that you haven't truly trusted, that something's not right, that something's off. And the invitation from God is simply this. You've heard the gospel. You, you know cognitively that the answer is Jesus alone and trusting him removes your sins and gives you life, the invitation is will you trust and surrender? Will you open your hands and say there's nothing you can do, only receive what Christ has done for you? And the Bible says that God will make you alive in Him. And would you do a favor? Would you do me a favor? If you're watching this and if you're listening still, I believe it's the Spirit of God that is sitting you where you are and giving you ears to hear. And, and if you've if for right now you're just, you feel like the light's coming on, that you're seeing it clearly and that you're trusting Christ, would you please let me know? I want to talk to you more about baptism, about following Christ as a, as a, as a Christian. I just want to talk with you more and celebrate with you. The Bible says that 
If, if you just trusted him, you went from death to life. That is a miracle. And so I, I just want to know and celebrate with you and talk to you about what that looks like. But all of us were called to share and to make disciples. You and me, we can be some of them. Just like they were in Acts 11, we, we can be some of them. By the power of God in us, by our faithfulness to open our mouths and to speak and to love our neighbors well, we can be some of them too. God can and will build his church here and will, will expand his kingdom through us to the ends of the world. May we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who went before us, who, who lived and died and rose and has given us life. May that compel us to love others and to go and to share the good news of Jesus and to be some of them, just like we see here in Acts 11 for his glory, for the good of those around us. I'm praying for you all. I love you. I'm grateful to be your pastor and to, to share life with you. I'm hopeful to see what God does in us and through us. Love you. See you. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.